0: listening to the Cougar Talk Podcast, hosted by Dylan McMinn and Chris Isaacson. Welcome back to another episode of the Cougar Talk Podcast, your weekly podcast talking all things BYU football and college football. Now I'm your host, Dylan, and joining me today is my good friend, Chris. We're here to talk about all the things that went well for BYU last week. We're here to critique things from BYU last week and everything in between. Chris, how are you doing?
1: Doing good, coming off a win. Feels great. I'm excited to get going at number seven Texas with this week, and there's there's a lot of excitement all around.
0: Absolutely. It should be a good week. But as always, we want to go ahead and start this episode by giving some huge shout-outs to some cougs in the pros. So if you are not following BYU on social media, one thing that's been pointed out lately is every time they do one of their Cougs in the pros tweets or posts on Instagram with highlights of BYU former BYU players in the NFL. It feels like each week that video they post is getting longer. It's going from 30 seconds to a minute, hit in a minute and a half. And so it's awesome to see. But there are a few specific guys that we do want to shout out for their performances this past week in the NFL. So Chris, who do you want to give a Cougs in the Pro shout out to today?
1: Yeah, so I know kind of where you're going. Um, I One player that I wanted to point out is Kyle Van Noy. Recently signed with the Ravens last week. He had a pretty good week with a sack. This week he added on two more sacks of his own. He had uh, five tackles, two of which were sacks, and just an all-around good game. He's really helping out the Ravens' defense, give a pass rush that they've been lacking this year as they beat down the Lions this week, who have been pretty good. So Kyle Van Noy on a good team, playing well. It's great to see.
0: Absolutely. It's very impressive how fast he's picking right back up into things. And he's one of those guys where he's just such a great guy. It's always good to see him succeed. Now I have two people that I'm personally going to shout out. First, I'm actually going to give a big shout out to Fred. I feel like we always shout out Fred on this segment of our episodes, but that just goes to show how much he's consistently doing for the 49ers. This week, Fred had 13 tackles, seven of those were solo tackles, one tackle for loss, and one pass deflection. But one play that I do want to point out specifically was on that tackle for loss. You might have seen it already. It was a crazy highlight play where he jumped over the line on a QB sneak, got to the quarterback very early on, and tackled him for that loss, prevented the Vikings from i believe it was a touchdown even it might have been a touchdown or a first down but he jumped over the line and got that tackle
1: yeah fred's just absolutely insane best linebacker in the nfl and you always mention his stat lines and each one gets crazier than the last like 13 tackles he's got a pass deflection got all these different stats feels like every single week is something new with him but he's continually proving that he is the best linebacker in the nfl
0: absolutely and what's even more impressive is he's not Sharing good defense with a ton of bums, either. Like, he has other good defenders on his team, and he's still the leading defender. So, he's not standing out because of all these other guys around him that aren't very good. I mean, he shares the field with Nick Bosa. He's out there with guys who are just as good, but he's the one making that step and leading in tackles almost every game. He's that, you know, loud leader that everybody knows he's kind of that leader of that defense. So, huge shout out to Fred. And moving on to the other guy I want to shout out. Of course, this is another one that we shout out pretty consistently each week, but it's very well-deserved, and that is to Puka Nakua. This week against the Steelers, Puka had eight receptions for 154 yards. That comes out to just under 20 yards per catch with a long of 36. He didn't have any touchdowns, and the Rams did unfortunately lose, but Puka himself had a great game. Always fun watching him each week. It's very clear that he has a almost comfortable feeling for the game already from the very beginning he did. So it's been very impressive watching Puka pick it up all so fast and really just watch the Rams utilize him so well. It's super fun to see. Well, all these guys are doing fantastic in the league, even more so than we mentioned. You know, you got Taysom scoring his first touchdown of the season. We have guys like Tyler Algier still killing it on his team. But moving on from the Cougs and the pros, we do want to introduce a brand new segment to our podcast. And this is a segment we call biased opinions. It's time for biased opinions. So we all are super biased. We all have our opinions. And a lot of times those go hand in hand. We have our biased opinions. And it's seen a lot, especially on social media and on Twitter amongst BYU fans. We all have some pretty biased opinions on specific things going around with other teams and things within our own team. So what we're going to do in this segment each week is we're going to grab one or two, maybe a few tweets or topics of debate that we see on Twitter or social media throughout that week. And we're going to just give you our biased opinion. We're going to talk about it, see if we agree on either side. We're just really going to talk through our perspective on these things. I mean, do you really have a podcast if you're not getting controversial on it? So to start off with this first episode, I want to bring up BYU basketball. This is the first time we're really talking BYU basketball on our podcast. So what we're going to talk about actually is Mark Pope. So if you missed it, this past week was kind of a rough week for BYU basketball. They lost out on a big recruit. Um, I'm not even going to attempt his last name, but his first name is Brody. He's from Provo area, Corner Canyon. His mom, I believe it is, works for BYU basketball, yet he chose to commit to USC. And there's a lot of different factors involved in this, but a lot of people are kind of using this as a way to blame Mark Pope or call out Mark Pope saying things like he's not a good coach, he's not going to get us built for the Big 12. And it's a lot of big, loud opinions on Mark Pope. So let's talk a little bit about this whole situation, you know, about the recruitment in general, about Mark Pope. So Chris, what are your thoughts? Is Mark Pope still the guy? Should we be considering looking elsewhere for a coach? Just what's your overall opinion on the situation?
1: Yeah, I know this can kind of go back and forth, and I know people have very strong feelings on either side. Personally, I really like Mark Pope. I think he brings a good energy to the squad. I think he brings a lot of knowledge of basketball and everything like that. And the other issue is as, a, as BYU and their hiring practices for coaches, who else would we get that would be able to recruit and coach and do all the things that he's doing better than him? I think if we look elsewhere, we're taking a step down. And although the results haven't been there yet, I'm really excited to see how he does in Big 12 play. And once he gets all the best recruits that he's got on missions and things like that right now back, I'm excited to see what the squad is. I know there's been a little bit of disappointment and there have been things that are worthy of taking into consideration, but overall, I really do like Mark Pope and I think he is the guy for BYU.
0: Absolutely. And I'm on the same page as you there. You know, I, I agree. There's not really anybody better than Mark Pope for BYU specifically. Of course, there are better coaches out there. There are always guys that are a little bit better. But in terms of, you know, like you mentioned, our hiring process and guys that fit the culture of BYU, it does not get better than Mark. And it's a similar situation with Kalani. Not that everybody's calling for Kalani's job or anything, but it's just one of those coach fits that culturally fits really well. He knows the system, he knows BYU, and he knows how to work in our, within our honor code, with the rules we have in place. And here's the other thing that I personally want to add to this all is a lot of this comes from overreactions to BYU not getting some specific top LDS recruits. You know, with this situation with the most recent recruit, with his mom working for BYU, him being a legacy guy, that type of thing, you know, it is understanding why fans are disappointed that we didn't get him. But also what's being overlooked is that he committed to USC. And there's not a program, I personally believe, in the country that will receive much more attention on them than the USC this year. And, you know, a lot of the credit of that goes to Bronny James, LeBron's son, of course. But also just, you know, it's NLA. You have a lot of NIL opportunity there. You're going to have a lot of big names watching you play. And, I mean, it's very understandable to choose USC over BYU. And it's not a knock on BYU. But USC is a good team with a lot of momentum going forward. It's almost similar to Colorado in a way when they hired Dion and kind of had that swag around their program a little bit more because of a big name like the Sanders family. I think we're going to see a very similar thing here with USC in basketball. So that's a little bit of a tangent towards that. But overall, you got to look at the guys that Mark Pope is still bringing in. You know, he may not be getting every single top LDS recruit but he still got Colin Chandler. He still was able to get Marcus Adams Jr. to transfer over to BYU. He got Isaac Davis. All these dudes who are big players, you know, top 50 in the nation type guys who we're kind of overlooking here because we're not landing all these top LDS recruits. So I don't think critiquing him based off the number of LDS recruits we pull in is necessarily fair for him. I think he's still doing a great job And like you said, Chris, we just got to give him time in the Big 12 specifically. I mean, we were in the West Coast Conference where really the only team with national spotlight was Gonzaga and occasionally St. Mary's. So it's already a tough position to be in there to recruit. But now you got to give him a little bit of time with the Big 12 bump that is very real. Big 12 is very much so the premier basketball conference in the entire nation. I, I can sit here and talk for hours about how much better the Big 12 conference is than any other conference in basketball. And we got to give him time to utilize that, I think. So that's my opinion. Kind of agreeing with you there. I don't think it gets much better than Mark Pope.
1: Yeah, and the Big 12 is basically a semi-pro league at this point. All these teams are absolutely insane. You'll always have a one seed, a two seed, everybody up in there. We are going to lose some games in the Big 12. It's just going to happen, and I'm sure there's going to be some overreactions from people, but I'm very excited to be in the Big 12 even though we'll probably get our teeth kicked in once or twice this season or maybe more than that. Yeah, I'm going to say much more than once or
0: twice there. It's going to it's going to be a rough first
1: season for
0: BYU, but that's what makes it so exciting. You know, you want to play against the best to become the best. That's what we have the opportunity to do. So it's a great opportunity for us. Big 12 basketball is going to be super fun. So love shouting that out and talking a little bit about that as we get closer to the basketball season, you know, the jazz tip off to kick off the NBA season tonight. So basketball is kind of on our minds a little bit more and we'll kind of, I guess, see how it goes into the basketball season once football season ends with this podcast specifically. But as of now, running back to where we really are, we're a football podcast, at least right now. BYU football taking over my mind at least so that's it for the biased opinion let us know what you thought about that new segment it's fun talking byu basketball but let's jump right back into byu football so taking a look at this past week byu played texas tech at home and we won 27 to 14 and you know there were a lot of ups and downs a lot of positives a lot of negatives here But I want to just kick right off with one of my favorite things that we talk about after a game, and that's going to be our players of the game. So we're going to have a player of the game from the offensive side of the ball and a player of the game from the defensive side of the ball. So let's talk a little bit more about this. So, Chris, starting with the offense, who do you have as the offensive player of the game?
1: Yeah, my offensive player of the game is going to be L.J. Martin. Uh, He had 10 carries for 93 yards, rushing for 9.3 yards per carry. He did have the long of 55 yards on the very first drive, which really opened up the scoring, opened us up to be able to start well, which, like you mentioned last week, we haven't been able to do. So starting with the ball and LJ rushing for that 55-yard rush, not scoring a touchdown, was very important in the game. But I also kind of wanted to give a side shout out to Aiden Robbins as well. His first real full workload back, he only rushed for 3.1 yards per carry, but taking 16 of those carries and being able to take some load off of LJ so that he could have more explosive runs is also very valuable as well. So the two of them combining for over 140 yards rushing was a big part of why we won that game.
0: Absolutely. I agree there. And I'm not going to go anywhere different with my player of the game there. It's got to be LJ for sure. You know, it, it really was fun to watch him have, especially that long run to start. Was really hoping he had the speed to break it off for a touchdown, but I'll take a 55 yard run anytime. And then of course it is great seeing Aiden Robbins back and healthy and actually getting some good yardage there. You know, I, I do want to see Aiden Robbins still get a shot. It was a bummer that it w- didn't work out week one and then he had his, you know, nagging injury here for a while. But I think hand-in-hand, those guys can really benefit from having each other on the field. Um, You know, LJ is going to be able to keep his energy going throughout all four quarters. Aiden's going to be able to provide a little bit more, you know, I think, strong power running than LJ can at times. So overall, those guys both did fantastic. Another guy, though, that wasn't mentioned that I do want to shout out is actually Darius Lassiter. Darius had a good game as well. He had four catches for 47 yards. And a touchdown. So he had a great game. That touchdown was, you know, a good one. But he also had an even better play. That's not a touchdown, but everybody has seen it. He had a crazy one-handed catch that was so fantastic to see. Like we we thought Chase Roberts' catch was amazing against Arkansas. Like I can't even put into words how amazing the Darius Lassiter catch was. Very difficult one-handed catch, falling backwards. If you haven't seen the replay of it. You need to go watch that replay of it right now it was so awesome
1: yeah i didn't think we'd have anything beat chase roberts catch and the second i saw that i was with my dad we both turned to each other and just started freaking out it was the most impressive catch i've ever seen in person in my entire life so shout outs shout outs there to darius lassiter and then moving over to the defensive side of the ball uh there's quite a few guys here that could get the player of the game we had a lot of great performances I know where you're going as well on this one, so I'm gonna go with a little bit different. I'm headed to Crew Wakely. I think Crew had a really great game defending the run, defending the pass. He actually had the tip ball to get uh, Eddie Heckard's interception that he returned almost 50 yards. And so Crew Wakely on that play made one of the best plays I've seen by a safety this year. He started out on the left side of the formation, was tracking the quarterback's eyes, kind of staying out of his vision, staying behind the offensive lineman. And as soon as he sees the ball come out, he read the route, read it early, got his hands up in the passing lane and was able to tip that ball up. He doesn't get credit with an interception there, but it was one of the best plays I've seen from the defense. Just in general, it felt like he was kind of all over the place, making plays, making tackles. He had a couple dropped interceptions that easily could have changed his stat line. But I love the way that Crew Wakely played, and he stepped up big time with a lot of injuries in our secondary.
0: Absolutely. And before I get to mine, I do want to add on to your shout out to Crew Wakely, because I have been one of the more vocal critics of Crew Wakely this season. I, I feel like it's very easy to feel that way against, you know, walk-ons or backups who are having to play at the starting position. But, you know, I do recognize that I was wrong about Crew Wakely, and there are some things that he has always done well. You know, specifically, I mentioned to you, Chris, during the game, I feel like he has always been really good at just making a sure tackle. Like, he doesn't try to hit too hard and bounce off tackles too much. He's really good at wrapping up. If he goes down, he makes sure he grabs their feet. And at least takes them down by tripping them as much as he possibly can. So, you know, big shout out to crew Wakely on that aspect. And it was nice seeing last week. It almost felt to me like he seemed more confident in his own, you know, ability in his play. It almost felt like he was making the right reads a lot quicker than he typically has in the past. He was doing really good in coverage. He wasn't letting guys get too open and he was making the right reads and jumping the right routes when needed. So. You know, he's one of those dudes you really hope keeps it up because that's going to play a big role in this team if he can keep keep it up. And I would love to keep being proven wrong by him if he keeps going out and showing us what he really can do. So big shout out to Crew Wakely there. Now I'm actually going to have two defensive players of the game here. Um, I'm going to start with Tyler Batty. Tyler had nine tackles on the day, but what's not quite seen On the stat sheet immediately is the pressure that he brought to the quarterback. There were a lot of times he made the backup quarterback for Texas Tech feel very uncomfortable and forced some bad throws, and I think that played a big role in a lot of our interceptions. And then another big shout-out to him for his punt coverage, which is super random, but he did fantastic on punt coverage. I think there were two specific punts. One of them, he nailed the punt returner super hard out of bounds, got in his face, got the momentum going our way, he got our guys hyped, and he made a nasty hard hit on that punt returner. And then later on, he forces a fumble by the punt returner, and it gets recovered by, you'd never guess, Ryan Rico, our actual punter. And so Tyler played a huge role in the game today, even if it was just, or not today, this week, even if it was just in terms of building momentum, getting our guys locked in, that's, that's one of those, you know, intangibles with guys that you need at times. And he stepped up and really did that. And then the other guy I want to make sure we give a huge shout-out to as another defensive player of the game, of course, is Eddie Heckard. You know, he had an interception and a fumble recovery in the end zone for a touchdown. And so huge shout-out to Eddie. It just felt like he was everywhere on the field last week. Felt like anywhere there was the ball, he was there as well. He was there to make the play when needed as he always is. So, you know, looks like we're getting a healthy Eddie back and you hope this continues throughout the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's so many guys that played really well on the defense this week. It's hard to pick just one or even three in this case to shout out. Uh, Just really quick before we move on from players of the game, you mentioned Ryan Rico a little bit, but just wanted to shout him out. One, the recovered fumble, that really helps out a lot when your punter's getting downfield, getting involved in things. It's always kind of fun to see. And then two, he had eight punts, and he averaged just under 53 yards per attempt. That is easily the best in the NCAA, and he's had one of the best punting seasons we've seen from a BYU punter ever. So he keeps putting in work week in and week out while the offense stalls out, but He's been a bright spot on special teams that we really appreciate having win that field position game. Now let's talk a little bit about some of the positives
0: and negatives of this game. Just what we thought went well, what we thought went wrong. And I want to start with talking a little bit about the run game. It feels like our run game was much improved this week against Texas Tech. So Chris, do you have any insight onto that? Anything you want to talk about with the run game specifically?
1: Yeah, I think one of the big things on the run game is just starting out quickly. That L.J. Martin 55-yard rush on the first drive of the game really kind of opened up a lot of things. And it was great to be able to see him get one of those really early on in the game. Uh, After that, he did slow down a little bit. Uh, After the 55-yard run, he only had about eight carries for, I think it was about 33 yards. And so it did slow down after that, but just knowing that we had the option to break off a run and to be able to get outside the tackles and be able to make our way upfield helped a lot to get the run game going. And then also the addition of Aiden Robbins coming back, him being able to take the majority of the carries, keep LJ Martin fresh to be able to break off runs like that, just kind of having a good one-two punch at running back really does do a lot in the run game there. Uh, Was there anything that stood out to you in the run game, maybe about the offensive line or anything different about the running backs there?
0: Yeah, so, so there is one one big thing I do want to talk about with the offensive line. And I'll get to that a little bit later in the episode. But the offensive line just in general felt like they were what we are used to as BYU fans was seeing our offensive line. It felt like they were a lot more in sync. They played a lot better, even though they still didn't play their best. We haven't seen the best from our offensive line yet this season specifically. But it felt like that was a big step towards that this week. And, you know, you hope that carries on to next week. And I'll explain a little bit more in depth here in just a moment of, you know, why I think this might actually be taking place. And, you know, why I think it's helping and what's happening with that offensive line. But also just watching the game back, it felt like the run game in general was almost in our game plan a lot more than I would have assumed it was before the game. It almost felt like specifically in the second half we had a good lead and that allowed us to force that run game a little bit more and this is purely you know a hypothesis from me a guess from me but part of me does wonder if you know a rod has looked at our offensive our offense and the lack of the run game we have and said you know what if we have a good lead in this game let's force that run game just a little bit more and see if we can get anything rolling see if we can get some momentum with our offensive running game and You know it feels like we did take that step forward there is still a lot of room for improvement i still don't want to have to you know rely on you know going on these running plays on you know third downs i don't love running it on third or even second and long but you know in this case if it was for the sake of trying to get our running game going a little bit more i'm just fine with that as long as it works out in the future You know, if we can take that momentum that we built up a little bit here this past week with our running game and use that against Texas, that that would be huge. I mean, it's going to be needed against Texas, and we'll get into that today as well. But it, it felt overall just much more comfortable, I would say. I won't say it was outstanding. I won't say it was incredible. But it made me feel a lot more comfortable with our running game as an option with this offense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was good to see a little bit of improvement from the offensive line there. And yeah, like you said, you have a little bit more details on that there. Uh, Wanted to jump into the negatives really quick. I know some fans were a little bit upset about kind of how the game played out there. We did win by two scores, but it ended up getting a little bit ugly in the second half. One of the things I wanted to mention was just mostly a conservative play calling. We had quite a few drives where we just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, punt. And so just kind of seeing BYU really take their foot off the gas and kind of chill out when they had a big lead we were up by three scores and kind of just got really comfortable with it and Texas Tech never really got back in the game but we definitely left a window open for them to be able to do that. And so really I would like to see BYU put teams away and put them away with authority because we go into half we're up 24 to seven got that three possession lead by 17. I want to go out and make that 27 30 points like if we're winning by 30 that completely demoralizes a team we saw it last week when we go down by like 25 30 points the game's already over at that point rather than keeping them in the game letting them score a touchdown and get on the board things like that so that was one of my main takeaways as a negative from this game is i just want bYU to stay aggressive and to stick with what they know works as best as best as it can with this offense obviously we have quite a few issues but I want to see us never let up and always try and score and improve on the offense each week, especially with the struggles that we've had. No, I absolutely agree there. And, you know, as I mentioned before, maybe this is because
0: we decided to force the run game a little bit more to try to figure it out. But I do agree that I would prefer to get that lead even larger before starting to do that. And, you know, when we're in conference play now, and especially in the big 12 conference, anything can happen. You know, Texas Tech, we benefited, I think, by the fact that Texas Tech was to a backup quarterback, a freshman starting, and, you know, he didn't have the best game. And I think that was a benefit for us. And, but, you know, if we play even better teams, if we go into Texas and somehow get a, you know, 14 point lead, we cannot go conservative because they are going to get that back. I, I would have no question with, you know, any lead against a team like Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, I would have no hesitation in saying that they would be able to shorten that lead and come back very quickly and easily if we play that conservatively. So I completely agree there. I don't want us to get our put our foot off the gas at all in that second half if we have a lead. Um, so it, it would have also just been more beneficial to just put the game away, get a larger lead and get guys out to keep them healthy. You know, it's a long season. We have a lot of more, you know, big matchups coming up this season. And so I would have much preferred to get a big lead. Who knows if we're able to get our starters out at that point, but still just make it. So it's a lot less intense, you know, like you said, demoralize them a lot more. So they're playing less intense and just make it overall a better game for us to just get out of there with a lot of momentum going into Texas rather than us leaving that game feeling like we gave Texas Tech a little bit of a shot, we left that window open as you said and now it makes their it still makes it makes it so there are still some little questions here and there about our team. So, we'll we'll see how much that does affect the game this week if at all. Um, another negative a little bit to bring up is just the past game overall, I think was a little bit disappointing this past week. You know, if you have, if you go 15 for 27 with Keaton Slovis for only 127 yards, he did have two touchdowns and he didn't turn the ball over. So that's the biggest thing. He didn't turn the ball over. That's fantastic. I love that. I'm okay with that. But, you know, we are going to need more than 127 pass yards against a lot of these other teams for a shot to win. So I would love to see that improve a little bit more. It was kind of disappointing to see that especially against a Texas Tech team that kind of allows a little bit more of that passing game. We made their passing defense look a little bit better than they actually are. So that that is one negative I'll take away from this that I do want to see us improve, especially with the return of Cody Epps and hopefully soon the return of Keanu Hill if he gets healthy.
1: Yeah, and one thing I wanted to add on to that passing game really quick, you mentioned Keaton Slovis having not very many yards. You say it was 127 yards there. I actually just counted it up 81 of those 127 yards came on one singular drive and so if you take away that drive he just has about 48 46 yards passing there that's that's kind of a brutal stat it was that drive with the ball to Darius Lassiter we threw the ball up and down the field and when we did that we scored a touchdown and after that we kind of went away from the passing game started running the ball and only having 40 yards outside of a singular drive is kind of a red flag for an offense going forward, especially one that has to go into Austin against seventh-ranked Texas and try and pull out a win. That is something that I am concerned about a little bit going forward and BYU's chances against Texas is we have to be able to put together more drives like that 80-yard one rather than having 40 yards outside of that.
0: Now, I, I want to move on a little bit to takeaways and sort of just what we're taking away from this Texas Tech game before we move on to Texas. And the one takeaway that I want to really, really emphasize here, because it has been killing me all season. You heard me rant about it last week. And that's just the start to our games and the starts to our halves. You know, I I read through this entire list last week. Let's go over it briefly again today. Let's just go through game by game, looking at the play by play. We start the second half of the Sam Houston game with the turnover on downs with SUU, we start with a punt and then throw an interception. Arkansas, we know how that started with going down 14 to zero at the start. And then the second half, we start with two three and outs. Kansas, we all know how it started with the scoop and score touchdown at the beginning, pick six at the beginning of the second half, pick six to start out the TCU game. And we have so many poor starts against teams. And I am so grateful that we did not see that this past week against Texas Tech. Against Texas Tech, we go out there, we start with the ball. We have a 75-yard drive that results in a touchdown. Thank, you know, Thanks to that 55-yard run by L.J. Martin, of course. But that is a great way to start a game. And then you go to the next drive. It's Texas Tech ball after that. We force a turnover on downs. They go for it on, I believe, fourth and one and we stopped them short and so then we get the ball back there and so we start this game off hot the second half of the game we didn't start off as hot it was just a lot of back and forth punting between the two teams but I am just fine with not starting with a turnover return for a touchdown at this very least which is kind of sad that that's the measuring stick here but I loved the way we started out this game so that's that's one of my big takeaways is we showed that we can have that hot start at least at the very beginning of a game. And we are absolutely going need to need that for the final stretch here. And then, you know, one other takeaway that I do want to talk about before I turn it over to you, Chris, with your takeaways, is, you know, this offensive line. I said before, I actually have a lot more that I want to talk about with this offensive line. And I'm going to try not to take too much time talking about them because, you know, with how much I've been looking at it lately, And trying to understand this offensive line, I could talk about this for a while. But it felt like I said before, our offensive line was a lot more in sync, a lot more aggressive. And I don't have for sure the blocking gradings or anything, the grades that our offensive line was given this past week. But it just felt overall like a better performance by our offensive line. You know, the touchdown throw from Keaton to Darius Lassiter, that was great blocking by our offensive line. There was a great pocket for Keaton, and it opened it up for him to throw a laser pass into the back of the end zone for Darius. And so that that play, I actually give a ton of credit to our offensive line for. And Hans Olsen actually spe- specifically brought attention to that, and that's maybe why I want to give that huge shout out there. But he mentioned how you know that was one of the first times this season it felt like we were even able to hold a f- three man front for a consistent amount of time to get a good play going. But to get a good play going because of it. And it felt like just that was a consistent theme throughout the game where it just felt like we were giving Keaton more time than he's had in the past. We were opening things up more for the run game, and it felt like we're a step closer to the offensive line we are familiar with. And, you know, we're, we're still not seeing the best of them. There is still a lot of room for improvement. I want to see a lot more out of them still, but I'm happy with this step that they took. And I want to quickly bring up one of the reasons I think we are seeing these changes with our offense. And I think it directly involves the changes that we made to the line. Of course, you know, we had that change a little bit earlier in the season where we moved Etienne out of the starting lineup and replaced him with Braden Keem. And he's done fantastic at that tackle spot. And then I think it was the TCU game was the first time we switched this up, but we moved Connor Pay back to center and Paul Miley to right guard. And that is what I think is one of the bigger difference makers here. I think Connor Pay seems a lot more comfortable at the center position. And I know Paul Miley said this in media availability this week. He loves playing right guard and he loves, you know, what it allows him to do a little bit more than playing center does. And I think that is one of the biggest changes that has made a difference here, moving Paul to a, position that he feels a little bit more comfortable and he has more fun with at least he said I think that's a big difference maker and then you have Connor pay who started at the center before who has that experience at center and you know specifically i think that's really what is making the biggest difference here so that's a long version of my takeaway here you know i I think we are seeing the rise of our offensive line again and it couldn't come as a, it couldn't have come at a better time.
1: Yeah, those are all good takeaways a lot of good things to take from the team that we we've improved on even from last week that have kind of shored up some of the some of the red flags that we had on the team so it, it is good to hear that we're improving there uh my main takeaway is takeaways uh byu is currently fourth in the country in turnovers gained and fourth in the country in turnover margin and going back to this game a big reason why we won is winning the turnover battle five to zero Uh, When you can win the turnover battle and kind of win possessions and steal field position and all of that, you're going to win a lot more games than you're going to lose. And so BYU, the one thing that they have been able to do on defense is generate turnovers. Uh, We're kind of middle of the pack in terms of run defense, pass defense and yards, things like that. But where we stand out is one of the most important stats. And we've honestly been outplayed in a lot of the games that we've won. Uh, We've been outgained against Cincinnati, Arkansas, and Texas Tech, and all three of those games we were able to win because we won the turnover battle there. And so BYU averaging over 2.28 turnovers per game is a very good stat that we really haven't seen from BYU defenses as of late. So if you're going to be good at something, be good at turnovers, and BYU is absolutely good at that and making other teams beat themselves. Uh, One other takeaway I just wanted to have was that uh, it was going back to Keaton Slovis a little bit. I was kind of doing a year in review and I was looking at stats and things like that, looking at more of the more of the advanced metrics there. Keaton Slovis currently ranks 17th of 19 qualified Big 12 quarterbacks in completion percentage. And this is largely due to him having a 10 yard average depth of target. Uh, 10 yards for an average depth of target is a long way down the field, and I know that BYU fans want to air it out more and want to throw downfield more, but a lot of the a lot of the plays that will increase uh, completion percentage and increase yards and things like that are the quick hitting routes, so the short slants, the bubble screens, and things like that. And having a large depth of target will result in a few more big plays, but it also results in a lot more incompletions and drive killing or making us get into third and longs and things like that. And so in addition to that, on the deep ball, Keaton Keaton Slovis throws the deep ball a lot on 19% of his passes, but he has a bottom four completion percentage on deep balls this year. And so he's trying them a lot and not hitting on as many of them as he wishes he could. And that's been a large part for why the offense has found themselves in third and longs and things like that. So I would love to see the quick game improve a little bit in order to get Keaton some more yards, keep drives going. I want to see shorter passes. And I know that's kind of counterintuitive to what BYU fans are saying. We want to air the ball out, but if we improve in that short game, Keaton's numbers are going to look a lot better, and we're going to be able to move the ball more effectively there.
0: And I love that you bring that up because honestly, it kind of feels like we're we we try to put a square block through a round hole with Keaton Slovis with some of those deep balls. You know, he has the arm talent and he has the strength, but his accuracy sometimes seems a little bit off, or maybe he underthrows some of those deep balls. So I. I think, you know, a takeaway from those stats with him is, like you mentioned, we need more of those short, quick hitting routes. And I I think that's going to actually need to come from a little bit of a change in identity for this offense. We're used to seeing guys like Jaron Hall and Zach Wilson who can launch the ball with good accuracy. You know, Jaron Hall specifically knew actually at times when to underthrow someone, so they still had a better chance at making a play on the ball. And that's why I think we are seeing such a drop in those long passes being caught by our offense. And, you know, I am personally okay with that if it does increase our completion percentage because being at the bottom like that for completion percentage or especially that long long pass completion percentage is not what we want at all. And that's kind of making our team a little bit one-dimensional here. And so I would I would much prefer to change our identity if that's what's needed here to just make it work with Keaton's skill set. And so that that's those are some crazy stats there, actually.
1: Yeah, a lot of those surprised me when I was looking at them because personally, I feel like Keaton's been pretty good. But those stats are a little bit alarming and could be a sign of things to come if we continue to really try the deep ball and really try and air it out is – things aren't really going to change that much. So like you said, I would love a little bit of a shift in identity, be able to move the ball more consistently because BYU feels like we have a lot of three and outs like we've been talking about. We get ourselves into third and longs, obvious passing downs where the defense can sell out and then you can't throw short and you can't throw easy completions because the defense is prepared for it. So would love to see that change a little bit and maybe we'll be able to sustain more drives that way.
0: And you know, on that point as well, it feels like A lot of the times when it feels like, at least lately, just off the top of my head, I see those short passes is when it's a third and long, and and that's where I think we do need that shift, where instead of just forcing the run so much on first and second and making it a third and long, why don't we try those short routes and quick hitting routes on first and second down, get more, you know, chunks of yardage there and make it more of a third and manageable, rather than a third and nine almost every single drive there, so Maybe not an entire switch in identity, um, but some, some type of game plan switch there to where we involve those short yardage plays a lot more. And, you know, another benefit of that is increasing Keaton's confidence, I think, a little bit more. Not that he lacks any confidence all the time, but I do think it'll get him more, than to a riv- more into a rhythm. It'll allow him to feel more confident in those long passes. So he's not going to hold back. He's going to be more locked in. So I, I think that could be a huge change if we do make that i think that could help us out a lot
1: yeah and then just one more thing before we move on another takeaway that i was having is looking at the defense in review this year uh so like i was saying earlier uh, we're good at turnovers but our defense we are giving up 4.5 yards per carry which is 89th in the country and in the interior run game we have only one defender above average in the big 12 It is jackson cravens Everybody else is 29th or worst out of 50 interior run stuffers, but the edge defenders on the defensive line have been pretty solid. Uh, Blake Mangelson is actually third in the Big 12, Tyler Batty 12th, and Isaiah Banya 14th out of 53 total edge defenders. So it's kind of a mixed bag. The interior defensive line hasn't been great. and That's where we've seen a lot of the rushes from other teams come. They're able to put the ball at the middle, usually for four or five yards pretty consistently. and We're not able to kind of blow any of those plays up. But it is nice to see guys like Blake Mangelson and Isaiah Banya step up along with Tyler Batty, who we knew was pretty solid coming into the year, to stop some of the outside runs that could go for big gains. So if we can shore up the interior defensive line a little bit, I think those yards per carry will come down. And if the yards per carry can come down, then the defense and the secondary can keep getting their interceptions and forcing bad throws on third and long. So it was a pretty interesting stat to hear the difference between the interior and exterior defensive line. Just wanted to point that out a little bit as one of my takeaways so far from the season in general.
0: Now, I do want to end this review of the Texas Tech Week with, I, I guess we could have talked about this technically in the biased opinions segment of this week's episode, but you know I feel like there are a lot of mixed opinions about last week's matchup by BYU fans. You know There are, of course, fans who... Are just happy to take that win don't want to really overly critique things just a winning is a win type of approach and then there are fans who are a little bit upset with the performance you know and feel like we could be so much better and i feel like there is a lot of people calling people out on twitter about you know just be happy with the win or like why can't we just take a win as it is why are byu fans like this and and one thing i do want to address is i am so happy we got that win I I said last week, this is potentially the biggest game of the rest of the season because it can dictate how the rest of the season goes. We got the win, and we are one win away from bowl eligibility. That's huge going into this final stretch of games. But at the same point, I also think it's very justified and fair to be a little bit worried about our offense because of this game, to have some of those critiques here. So, you know, where we did critique it so much here, I think it's very warranted. But at the end of the day, We are both still happy that we got that win, you know, at the end of the season, we're going to be looking at an overall record. We're not going to be looking at each game's individual scores, but at the same point, we do want to make sure that when there are things that need to be fixed, we really want them to get fixed. So it helps improve that overall record. So no matter what side you are on, you are not wrong. It's great to be on this side of a game with a win. It's also just fine to be critiquing this team, have some concerns, and feel like we can be better especially where you know we have players themselves that say they feel like we haven't even played our best that's you know kind of a good approach to have it's healthy it's good for the team and that's how you improve so there is still a lot of room for improvement and you know even though we are happy with that Texas Tech win there's still a lot of learning opportunity from that win as well so hopefully we had a good week of practice this week as we prepare for Texas and this is kind of a great segue into our preview of that Texas matchup.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to say I love that. I love the BYU's 5-2, and two, and I'm glad that wins can just be wins. We don't have to worry about the quality of wins like we did in Independence. Being in the Big 12 is great, and one of the great things about being in the Big 12 is getting to travel to number 7 Texas in the middle of the season. So going over the game details, we have a 1.30 p.m. Mountain Time kickoff on ESPN. The jersey combos we have, we have our navy blue helmets, our white jerseys, and navy blue pants. Personally, I think this is a very clean look. Reminds me of the Baylor game that we played at. It looks beautiful on TV. I know some fans were complaining about it not being royal. But I think this is a really good combo and a really good color matchup against Texas there. Uh, Anything you wanted to shout out or anything you wanted to mention about the game before we get into the details of it?
0: Yeah, and with those uniforms, I agree. It's such a great look, and as I'm, I'm always Team Royal. I will always like the Royal looks over the Navy looks, but that is not saying the Navy looks are bad. This Navy look is my absolute favorite. The Navy Oreo looks fantastic. It'll look great against the burnt orange, so it's a great, you know, color matchup with these teams. And a, another big shout out to the color of Navy against Texas. BYU fans should remember. The last two times we played against Texas when we wore Navy and one particular player that was wearing Navy that decided he wanted to just become the father of the entire state of Texas those weeks. And that is one and only Taysom Hill. So we would be completely mistaken if we went this whole podcast episode preparing for Texas without talking about the man himself, Taysom Hill. You know, he's currently playing for the Saints, but... If for some reason, I, I don't even want to bring this up, but if somehow you don't know what we are referencing, Taysom Hill has one of the greatest plays, I think, of you know all BYU history where he hurdles a Texas defender and scores a touchdown on a run. This is right in his prime at BYU when he was in Heisman conversation before his injuries. And man, I love this Texas matchup because I love any excuse to watch Taysom Hill run all over Texas and you know what? He is still currently running all over Texas. He is rent free in Texas fans' minds, as as he should be. That man literally owns the team of the Texas Longhorns. And you know what? Like you said, I want to emphasize a big, you know, benefit of being in a conference like the Big Twelve is we get a fantastic opportunity to shock the world, do something awesome this week, and it doesn't have to be at the beginning or end of a season. It counts towards the conference. We can ruin Texas' season with this matchup. So I, I absolutely love that we get the opportunity to play at Texas right now.
1: Yeah, and one detail about that hurdle that I think you left out. You being a Seahawks fan, the closest defender to Taysom Hill after that hurdle was your boy Quandre Diggs. So kind of a fun little look to see where <laughs> players were. And where they are now. And so Taysom was running over really great competition there. And you're, you're all too familiar with that as a Seahawks fan, Dylan.
0: I I love Quandre as a Seahawk. But you know what? Before he was a Seahawk, he was a longhorn. I don't love the longhorn. So I love him now. He's a changed man. He's improved his image in my mind. But back then, I would you know give anything to see Taysom hurdle over Quandre digs three more times that game. That was that was amazing. So I, I'm just fine with taking that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. BYU matters more than NFL. That's what we'll stand by here. Love the NFL, but I absolutely want Taysom to come back for this game and just beat Texas again. Uh, getting into the Texas game, though, uh, we wanted to go over the QB situation. Quinn Ewers out with an injury, kind of an undisclosed amount of time. Not out for the season, but definitely will not be playing in this game. In his stead, we have Malik Murphy starting for Texas. He is a four-star recruit in the 2022 class coming out of California. He is a physical specimen. He is six foot five, 238 pounds. Reminds me a lot of KJ Jefferson, with just how big and how strong he is. So he's going to be difficult to take down. Uh, He balled out in their spring game. I remember there was a lot of conversation coming out about that. He hit on some deep throws. He hit some really good passes. And in general, he looks great as a passer. The only question is, is he going to be able to do that in his first career start in live game again, like 11 on 11, not in practice. There's fans there. The game is live. We'll see what he can do there. But Texas was going to run the ball before, and they're going to run the ball still. With Quinn Ewers in, they had about 38 rushing attempts per game, and they are more than willing to just run the ball down your throats every single play for the entire game. I think we'll get a heavy dose of that with Malik Murphy being in this game. So with that said, BYU probably can't spend as much time in 3 5 this week, our defense with three down linemen and three linebackers. Uh, we ran that a lot against Texas Tech, and it worked out enough for us, but I think against Texas, you are going to see some bigger fronts from BYU's end, just trying to take care of the run and be able to bring down a physical guy like Malik Murphy. Bring him down, keep him in the pocket, keep him under wraps as much as we can.
0: And to add a little bit more analysis here at least from what i've seen a lot from you know social media and a lot of texas fans even is there is a difference between quinn ewers and malik murphy in their style of play um, from what i've seen malik murphy typically prefers to stay in the pocket he's not the most mobile quarterback you know he's a big guy like you said and he is fast but he is a lot more comfortable to, you know sitting in the pocket and he's a great passer he really is a good passer he's just a lot more you know pro style where he sits back in the pocket finds the open pass instead of running ground to extend the play so that i think is one of the big differences between him and Quinn Ewers and we'll see how the offensive line for Texas is able to adjust to that however you know like you said he is such a good player overall he's a highly recruited guy he's a great athlete overall so you you shouldn't see as much of a drop off there between the two guys you know no matter who is starting for Texas, they're always gonna have a good shot because they have such a deep quarterback room. And this is us even just talking about those first two guys and not even bringing up Arch Manning, you know, biggest recruit out of the nation last last season, I think it was. Um he's kind of holding on to a red shirt this season, so that's why we're not seeing him this week. But that's you know, that's a deep quarterback room of guys who make each other better. And and that's that's a little bit scary to me. But as you mentioned, what's even more scary to me is Jonathan Brooks, their running back. You know, like you said, they were already going to run it on us. They're going to do so even more this week with Malik Murphy in. And talking about Jonathan Brooks, he's actually somewhat similar to Taj Brooks of Texas Tech, just where he's big, he's fast, and he's very physical. Jonathan Brooks on the season has 825 yards rushing. That averages out to about 6.4 yards per carry, which is a great average over the season. And he has six touchdowns. And they really, their offense is running through him already. It's going to be so even more this week, I think. So like you said, we're going to need a big defensive showing from our defense and defensive line specifically. But the one thing that does give me hope is how good we did last week against Taj Brooks. Now they are kind of different levels in my mind. I personally think Jonathan Brooks is a little bit better than Taj Brooks. However, we did show that we can stop a big time running back like Taj Brooks last week. Let's see if we can do it again this week. Now jumping over to the passing game a little bit, we hopefully can contain Malik Murphy, but we also struggled containing Hoover of TCU in his first start. So I personally don't like giving much attention to The fact that this is a quarterback's first start, just because that doesn't seem to help us in any way so far, other than last week, I guess, with Jake Strong, but you know, Malik Murphy is a much better player than Jake Strong, but in their passing game, one of their big receivers who is their leading receiver this year is Xavier Worthy, who has 40 receptions for 500, almost 550 yards and four touchdowns. You know, the second leading receiver has 26 receptions. So he's almost, you know, twice the amount of receptions over that second leading receiver. So he, I would expect him to be very involved in that passing game as much as they pass against us. Even so, even with it being a lot less than the amount of times they run it, I do think he will play a big role for their offense this week.
1: Yeah, and Xavier Worthy is a stud. I mean, he's going to be an early round draft pick when he goes to the NFL, and he's one of their best uh, guys in space, I'd say, yards after catch, very explosive with the ball in his hand, very shifty and very fast. He's one, only 172 pounds, though, so that's one of his concerns, that he's a little bit smaller, but he is absolutely an explosive player, and he's going to be somebody that BYU needs to keep an eye on to be able to keep a lid on that Texas offense. Uh, I wanted to get into the Texas defense a little bit. Uh, Texas's defense matches up very well against an offense like BYU's. Uh, we are not great in the rush game, and the Texas rush D is 22nd in the country, which is 3.2 yards per carry allowed. So BYU is going to have a really hard time running the ball against them. Uh, one thing that does help for BYU is that Texas is dealing with a lot of secondary injuries. They're very similar to us. They have a weak safety room with a lot of people going down to injuries. And so... It's not saying that BYU will succeed in the passing game, but if there is an opening for BYU to succeed, it's going to be based on these backups and these new players that are trying to fill in roles in Texas's defense and kind of plug gaps where they need to. So I would look for BYU to really lean on the passing game again. I would hope to see some completions against the secondary and kind of get the receivers going, get Keaton going, and be able to attack the weaknesses of Texas's defense while not trying to run into a brick wall that is their front seven.
0: And that kind of ties perfectly into what I want to talk about next with who needs to have a big game to give us any type of shot in beating this Texas team. Texas is a fantastic team. You know, they're a top 10 team for a reason. Their only loss is to a really good Oklahoma team. And we we really do need to play a fantastic game to have a shot against them. But I want to talk about who specifically needs to have a big game to give us any type of shot. So I want you to go ahead and start. I kind of have an idea of who I think needs to have a big game, but Chris, who do you think needs to have a big game to give us any type of shot at winning against Texas?
1: Yeah, so just going off what I just barely said there, Keaton Slovis is going to need to have a big game to get us going. The rushing game, I don't think will be there. As improved as it has been lately, I think it's going to be an extra challenge to be able to try and run it against Texas. If we want any shot in this game, I think Keaton needs to go for 300 yards passing, and we've—I don't know if we've seen that once or if we haven't seen that at all this year. But we need Keaton to have one of his career games if we want any shot to win. And then, in addition to that, uh, the front seven of BYU's defense, specifically the interior defensive linemen, need to have a big game in stopping Texas's run game. They can average four yards per carry, honestly, and we would be able to get a win off of that. We just have to limit the explosive runs, which we have done a good job this far, and we need to not let them get into third and shorts and easily convertible downs. If we can avoid those things, I think the BYU does have a shot in this game, albeit not a great shot, but if we want a shot, those things have to be much improved from what they've been.
0: Absolutely, I love that. It's it's definitely going to be an interesting game to watch for sure. You know, I think a lot of people are actually fairly confident in BYU which I wish I was as confident as some people are you know I'm I'm a BYU homer through and through and even I'm struggling to see a way for BYU to win this game but if we were to do so I personally think it starts with our offensive line you know I cannot overstate enough how good this Texas defensive line is and so if we want any shot in this game we need to be able to get something going on offense it's not likely going to be our running offense where we already struggle with that. And as you mentioned before, they are a great rushing defense. And so where their, where their weakness is in their secondary a little bit, we need our offensive line to give Keaton time. He needs to be able to have time to make those throws. The times we see him make mistakes is when he's getting hit as he's throwing. That's when he throws it short, throws it way off target for a, a very terrible interception, to put it bluntly. So our offensive line needs to get it figured out, especially with our pass protection. That's what I think gives us a shot. I'm not as worried about the defense. The Texas offense is fantastic, but our defense has showed that they can really hang with a lot of good teams. They can step up when necessary. And in one-on-one coverage specifically, our defensive backs are fairly good. So I'm not as worried about their offense or our defensive backs specifically, but I'm more worried about if our offense can hang with them. We need to get something figured out. If we want Keaton to have even close to 300 plus passing yards, he needs to have that time to throw it, which we haven't really seen much this season. Um, To answer what you were saying before also, Keaton has only had one 300 plus passing yard game this season. and It was against Southern Utah. So he hasn't thrown for more than 300 yards against any power five team this season yet. So if he did this week, that would come at a perfect time. I just don't see it happening necessarily this week, but if our offensive line can get something going to have a decent pass game and a better than our average running game, that's what it would take, in my opinion, to really win this game, especially if our defense is able to make, uh, force the turnovers like they have so far this season. That would be huge. We have luckily shown that we can take advantage of those turnovers. I'm not sure exactly our percentage rate, but it feels like, We do get points from a majority of our turnovers. I can't think of any that we've forced that we didn't get points from. So I think if our defense is able to do that, that's huge. But our offense needs to have a huge game for us to have any shot here. Now, just like any week, we're going to make our predictions for this game. We're going to do a final score prediction, players of the game prediction for offense and defense, and a hot take. So, Chris, I'm going to let you get us kicked off with your predictions.
1: Yeah, so my predictions, I'm going to be a little bit of a realist here. I apologize in advance. Uh, In terms of the game winner, I am going to take Texas by a score of 34 to 17. I think BYU just slides right around that line. I think it's at 17 and a half right now. I think that's a pretty good estimate of the score. I'm going Texas right there. In terms of offensive player of the game, I think that Isaac Rex has himself a little bit of a bounce back. I think Texas is going to, their depleted secondary is going to focus extra hard on the receivers. He's going to be able to catch a lot of passes, just kind of short passes and gain a few first downs, things like that. So I think Isaac Rex will be good on offense. And on defense, I'm going to say that I think Ethan Slade is going to have a pretty good game. I think he's going to come up in the run game a lot more, and I think he's going to have at least one important play in the pass game whether that be a pass deflection interception something like that i'm going to give defensive player of the game to ethan slade and my hot take i will say i know i said byu is only scoring 17 points so my hot take can't really exist if my score prediction is correct but i say keaton slovens keaton slovis throws for three passing touchdowns which is more than he has in the past, so it's not super hot take, but I would love to see Keaton Slovis kind of sling the ball around, really feel it in the past game, throw for quite a few touchdowns this week.
0: You know what, and that is that is a hot take, given his performance as of late. And you know what, I'll admit, I much prefer your hot take comes true rather than your score prediction. So I hope your hot take makes your prediction wrong there. Um, I'm, I'm going to give two score predictions here. I'm not gonna give two full predictions, just two score predictions. The first one is gonna be my Homer score prediction. You know, if BYU comes out here and plays great and we give them our best shot and we end up winning, I think it would end up being a score along the lines of 38 to 35, fairly high scoring. You know, it's gonna, you know, probably take that for us to have a shot to win. The Texas offense is just so good. It's gonna end up, you know, if we have any shot, it's gonna need to come from a shootout win almost where, Whoever ends up with the ball last wins the game because they score at the end. So if we do win, that's what I see happening. Do I realistically see that happening, though? Unfortunately, I do not. So my real full prediction is kind of along the line, same lines as yours. I think BYU is going to lose this game 35-14. to 14. I I really don't see us making it super close here just with our offensive struggles as of late. So that's what I'm going to say is my final score of BYU losing 35-14. Um, players of the game, though, offensive player of the game, I do think we see the Cody Epps game. Um, I think he is going to really step up, be a big role in our offense, finding any type of success. You know, he was involved in the offense last week. He had around 27 yards maybe receiving, if I'm remembering right. I would love to see him break at least maybe, you know, 40, 50 yards. That would be fantastic. Get back to the Cody Epps we all know when he's fully healthy. Uh, Defensive side of the ball, my player of the game prediction, I'm actually going to go with Max Tooley. I think he's going to play a big role in any chance of stopping this run game. I also think he could play a big role in making Malik Murphy uncomfortable. That's going to be a big key to the game is making him uncomfortable and making them Really one dimensional and have to rely on that running game a little bit, which is scary to say, honestly, I just, I don't think we're stopping the run game as much. And so we got to stop the pass game at least. And I think Max can play a big role in any chance we have of doing either of those. So he's going to be my defensive player of the game. My hot take though, is I do think You know, with this good Texas defensive line, I think we do carry a little bit of momentum over, and I'm going to predict that we have, again, for a second week in a row, over 150 rushing yards, which is a hot take, especially against this defensive line and this really amazing run defense team with Texas. So that's going to be my hot take there. We get over 150 rushing yards.
1: I hope for both of our sakes, our hot takes come true. If we rush for 150 yards, throw for three touchdowns, I mean, I think we'd be in a pretty good spot. So fingers crossed that we get nighttime BYU in the middle of the day for whatever reason. We can't seem to get it going during the day, but I do think back to like 2017 or 2018 Wisconsin, would love to just go in and pull off a win against the top seven, top six team just like that. Surprise the world a little bit, you know? Absolutely. And, you
0: know, this is this is one of those games where the setup of it could very well happen. You know, it's, you know, BYU has a good history against Texas with Taysom Hill, as we talked about before we are, you know, it's our first season back our first season in the big 12 and it's Texas's last season in the big 12. And so the setup of it is, you know, good for an underdog story for BYU. Realistically, I would not bet on BYU winning this, but as a fan, I'm going to go all in. By the time we kick off on Saturday, I'm going to have myself convinced that we're going to win. Hopefully, the BYU vampires do not show up, as Hugh mentioned, and we actually get the BYU that we know it can be at night. So, should be a good game overall. And, you know, with, with this all said, I'm, I am excited for this opportunity. You know, hopefully our team is able to take advantage and really go into there and at least play good football. Even if we don't win, I'm going to be satisfied if we at least cover the spread there, make it a good game somewhat, and actually just play one of our better games. I don't, I don't think we play our best yet, but I do want to see us play better than we have so far and make those improvements that we've talked about our team needing and you know, use this as a game to build up momentum. If we at least hang with Texas a little bit, even if we lose, that gives us even more momentum going into the next week's matchup against West Virginia. So, I I just want to see us play good. I want us to play some sound football. I want us to take care of the ball, and I'd much rather just get beat in the trenches than beating ourselves. That's that's really what I personally want to see. So, that's that's where I think we find success this week. But with with that all said, you know, we talked a lot about BYU and this is a longer episode. We have a lot to digest with that. Let's move on to one of our other favorite segments though that we always include every week, and that's just talking about college football in general outside of BYU. Now this past week, there was a pretty good slate of games, some you know, almost upsets, some weird games. So Chris, what, what were some of your favorite games that you watched from the past week?
1: Yeah, the first one that I wanted to point out was UCF at Oklahoma. That was a pretty electric game, a relatively high scoring affair, We had the UCF player running down the sideline, blowing a kiss to the Oklahoma players. We had Oklahoma kind of coming back from a little bit of a deficit. And then we had UCF driving the whole length of the field when they're down by eight, going, scoring a touchdown with just over a minute left, and running arguably the worst two-point play I've ever seen. It was like a a throwback to a wide receiver who then went for a double pass, and he never even got the ball out of his hands. I just don't really understand taking the ball out of your quarterback's hands to throw it with the game on the line, but didn't work out for them. They got close, but overall, that whole game was super electric.
0: Yeah, and maybe that's one of those plays we would have added if we did what would you do this week. Maybe next week we will do that segment and talk about that one a little bit more, but, man, that that was a fun game to watch. It was very entertaining. You know, the crowd was into it for Oklahoma. I believe it was at Oklahoma. Um, on, on that same point, Texas barely hung on to a win as well against Houston. Their situation was a little bit different, though, where they had Quinn Ewers go out with injury, took their pass game out of the you know second half of the game a little bit more than they would have liked, and it allowed Houston to hang on more than I think anybody would have expected. So that was a good game. And then another game that I really want to shout out from this past week is the most ridiculous final score I have seen in a minute. And that was nevada beating san diego state six to zero that that's just such a weird football score to me that's a baseball score even and you know what you love to see it because i would love to see the show The san diego state student section the show i would love to see them in shambles as much as i possibly can
1: oh 100 it's always a good day when they kind of get put back in their place And I know we are a BYU pod, but we do have to shout out what was arguably the the overall game of the week. Utah going into USC, coming out with a win. Bryson Barnes being tough as nails that final drive, dipping his shoulder into contact and really just putting himself on the line to go get Utah into a good field position there. It was a great back and forth game. Lots of comebacks in the middle of that and ended up winning it on a game winning field goal. So. You can't really be mad about a game like that, even though Utah did come out on top. So that was a really fun one to watch.
0: And you know what? Shout out to Bryson Barnes, man. He stepped up when nobody thought he could. He's had an up and down year. You know, they have a star player in Vaki who's on both sides of the ball, their own Travis Hunter. But Bryson Barnes has to be player of the game for Utah there, man. He stepped up when it was needed most. And as much as we do like to cheer against Utah, it's never too disappointing to see Caleb Williams lose either. So that was that was just a fun football game. Very entertaining, as you said. And I love games that come down to the wire like that. Now, with, with this all said, let's go ahead and shift our focus a little bit more onto next week the, or this week's games that we have coming up. Um, this week, personally, I think is actually a little bit slower of a week. There are a little bit less matchups that I am excited for. So I'm gonna let you kick us off with this one as well. What matchups this week are you looking forward to, Chris?
1: Yeah, so going right back to exactly what we were just talking about, Oregon at Utah. College game day is coming to Utah. They're gonna be in Salt Lake this week. We got a top 15 matchup. Oregon with a super high powered offense against Utah's insanely good defense. That's gonna be a very good battle to watch. So you have great on gray, and then both of them have good on the other side of the ball. So that's going to be a really fun one to watch there. As much as, again, we want to see Utah lose, that game should be a great one in general.
0: Yeah, that'll that'll be a fun one. And you know what? I do hope Utah fans enjoy having game day there. That is always something fun to have in the state of Utah. Wish it was for BYU. I do hope Oregon wins this game, but it is cool having game day in Utah. So that, that's that's probably the biggest matchup of this week, to be honest. Um, A couple that I also do want to shout out, Number six, Oklahoma at Kansas on Saturday morning. That could end up being a good game. See if Kansas can get things figured out a little bit against an Oklahoma team who struggled against UCF. Um, We have West Virginia at UCF. See if UCF can keep their momentum rolling from last week. This is kind of a big game for their head coach. See if he can bounce back against West Virginia and get them a little bit more on track. Um, And then one other one that I do want to shout out is number 20, Duke at number 18, Louisville. Uh, that's that's a rivalry matchup. Duke is rolling. Louisville is rolling. That could end up being an explosive game. That's a 1.30 kickoff on Saturday. So they do play at the same time as BYU. But that is, that is a game that I'll probably be following at the same time just on my phone or something like that. So some, some decent matchups. A lot of other matchups that are a little bit less intriguing to us. Um, one final shout out that I actually do want to give right now because it is happening live. Um, We're recording this on Wednesday night, so by the time you hear this, it's already going to have its results, but as of now, Sam Houston State is leading UTEP 27-20. UTEP is driving the field. There's about 14 minutes left of the game. Really hoping for Sam Houston to get their first FBS win tonight. You know, We had a disappointing game against them. They were one of our opponents this season, but they're a team that I'm going to be riding with for a while. I think it's awesome any team that goes from FCS to FBS, and I just... Wish them success. So hoping to see Sam Houston Wood tonight. That would be fantastic for their school, for their fan base, and their coach. So we'll see if they can pull it off, and we'll find out much before you even listen to this episode. Well, with this all said, it is a good week to be a college football fan. Even with some less entertaining matchups, it's always a good week to be a college football fan during the fall Really excited for this week's slate, though. Just really wanting to relax, get some good football in. Hopefully you are you are all able to as well. Hoping for a good game for our Cougars. You know, this week it's all horns down from us. Um, Chris, do you have anything you want to add before we wrap up? Go Cougs. Go Cougs. Always, again, to emphasize one more time, everybody put those horns down. And let's hope for a good game this week, and we'll see you all next week. This was the Cougar Talk Podcast. Thanks for listening.